Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Thank you for downloading this podcast. I really appreciate it. I am thankful for you. How about that? I was saying on Twitter, I do like the concept of Thanksgiving. The Thanksgiving holiday is one that we don't celebrate in New Zealand. We really have no equivalent of Thanksgiving. But I think it's a wonderful idea just to take stock. I mean, I suppose most of us have troubles in our lives, right? So things that could be better. For some of us, there are things that could be considerably better. In the context of accessibility, you know, it's a struggle. There's an app that we can't use or a web page that's frustrating or whatever. But when you consider just how far we've come in the last two, three decades, it is amazing. And I've said this on a few occasions. I can remember when I was a kid, always interested in the news and having to ask my siblings. I've got three older sighted sisters and then an older, even older brother. And they're still all older than me, even after all these years. And I used to ask my sighted sisters to read the newspaper to me and things because I had no way of doing it. All the things that we can now do independently that we couldn't do just a few decades ago, online shopping, newspaper reading, taking care of a whole bunch of stuff, we do have a lot to be thankful for. And while we're being thankful, we can take a bit of a breather and prepare ourselves, energize ourselves to continue to advocate for greater accessibility, particularly, I think, affordability is something that we have to be mindful of. The digital divide in the blind community is something that continues to trouble me. But there is certainly a lot to be thankful for. So I love this concept of Thanksgiving. We were supposed to be actually celebrating Thanksgiving here in our household. Bonnie, of course, is American. So we had a little bit of a dinner, nothing too spectacular. But I have four children. Many of you who listen to The Explosion or have heard me over the years on various things know that I have uh, two boys and two girls. They're getting older now. And my two oldest, my oldest daughter and my oldest son, they actually live in a flat. And there are three others living in that flat. And uh, we call it the House of Doom. I called it the House of Doom because when they moved into this flat, I thought, well, goodness me, are they going to look after themselves? Are they going to keep the place clean? Actually, it functions pretty well. I'm very proud of them for the way that the House of Doom functions. And they're all heading back to their respective families for Christmas. I'm really looking forward to that. So they thought that they might adopt the American Thanksgiving holiday and cook a nice big roast turkey or something like that and enjoy that together since they wouldn't be able to enjoy Christmas together. And I thought this was an ingenious idea. They even, the oldest two children, they even invited their old dad and stepmom over for Thanksgiving dinner. Now, there's been a little bit of a glitch in that because Richard, my oldest son, he went away for a week. So we didn't have that Thanksgiving dinner this week, but I understand we are still to have a Thanksgiving dinner. So I'm looking forward to that. One of the things about New Zealand that is different from America, one of the many things, is that we do different stuff with pumpkin in this country, you see. Well, maybe America does different stuff with pumpkin, whatever. And uh, when we have pumpkin, we put it on the plate with the veggies. And you know, So you have a roast dinner, you might have turkey, and you'd have roast potatoes, and you'd have the pumpkin on the plate roasted with the other vegetables. Of course, with Thanksgiving in particular, in the United States, you put the pumpkin in a pie and you have it for dessert. And I didn't ever have pumpkin pie before I had my first U.S. Thanksgiving dinner. 
So it's another cultural difference. Now, before we go too far into the podcast, I should say that if you're listening to this towards the beginning of the release cycle, so we're going to publish this on Saturday New Zealand time, which is Friday in the United States, and at least for a couple of days afterwards, we're going to keep this Black Friday special going. I do wonder why they call it Black Friday, but they do. And so we're going to keep this special going that we've got on the Mosin Consulting website. Head on over to the store at mosen.org, that's M-O-S-E-N.org, and then choose the link for the store. Fill your cart to your heart's content. You know, we've got a lot of tutorials and stuff there, including Bonnie's excellent book. If you're in the job market, she's put a great resource together called It's Off to Work We Go that looks at how to gain employment, the search process, the job interview process, a lot of cool hints and tips there. But there's also a lot of technology information in the Mosin Consulting store as well. So fill your cart to your heart's content. And then when you get to the checkout screen, you will find an edit box to enter a coupon. If you type in the string, thanks for access, that's thanks and the number four, and then access, all one word, you will have 35% deducted from the total purchase price of all the items in your cart. Isn't that genius? So go ahead and if you've been thinking, oh, maybe I'll pick up some stuff from Mosin Consulting, now is definitely the time to do it. Fill your cart, put thanks for access in the coupon field when you're presented with that field at checkout. Up ahead in the Blindside podcast today, I guess Thanksgiving in the United States is a good time for taking a bit of downtime, right? A lot of people have a long weekend. If you're fortunate, you might get the Friday off to recover from Thanksgiving. You might have a bit of time to play some games, and it seemed like a good time to bring on Marty Schultz from Blindfold Games. This is an interview that we recorded some time ago, actually, but because it's not particularly topical, I've been holding off on this one, but I am going to play it today. So in some instances, the games that Marty was talking about maybe developing are already out. This guy is a prolific developer of games that are accessible on iOS. It is remarkable the number of titles that Marty has put out in such a short time, and they're good quality titles as well. And of course, recently, he teamed up with RS Games. Now, RS Games has been going since 2009, and they're another group of people that we should be thankful for, I think, because they've put together a really cool resource that offers a whole bunch of games for free to the blind community. It's been available on PC and Mac for quite some time. And now, if you're willing to buy the games after a trial, you can get them for iOS as well. They remain free on the PC and Mac, but to cover the cost of development, you do pay to buy them. You can buy all of them, or you can buy bundles of them, or you can buy them individually from the App Store. You just download the one app, and then there are in-app purchases to get what you want. So I've been playing this for the last couple of days, actually. I've taken a bit of downtime myself, while so many people I work with in the United States have been feeding themselves with turkey. And I've really enjoyed the implementation of iOS games on iOS. If you've not tried this yet, then treat yourself. You get a seven-day free trial to experience this. And, of course, you can continue to play them free indefinitely on the PC and the Mac. So definitely check it out. So Marty's coming up 
a little bit later. And it seems fitting also to mark the fact that this may well be the last Blind Side podcast that we produce using Amadeus Pro on the Mac. You may have read the blog post that I put out earlier this week, and I nearly didn't put that blog post out actually, but this blog post that I put out describes the decision process, some of the factors that have led to me abandoning the Mac world and going exclusively back to Windows. So as you may know, if you've read this blog post, I have been using a hybrid of the Mac and Windows for the last four years. My primary computer has been a Mac, but I've been running Windows under a virtual machine. And for reasons that I go into at some considerable length on the blog at mosin.org, so you can then go to that site and choose the blog link, and it's the most recent post as we publish this podcast, I've decided to go exclusively back to Windows. And I'm very excited about the new machine that is about to be delivered. It's being built to spec. That's the worst thing, isn't it? When you've made a decision like this and you're getting a major new purchase like a computer, but you can't walk out with it because it's being built to spec. I can't remember the last time I've been able to walk out with a new computer because most of the time I do want it built to a certain requirement that's just not available on the shelf. So I'm waiting for the extra RAM, the additional solid-state storage to be installed and all that sort of stuff. And I'm hoping that by the time the next episode of The Blind Side comes out, we'll be back producing it exclusively in Windows. And hopefully muscle memory will kick in and some of the tools that I was using up until four years ago for audio production will be implemented again. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this gorgeous new machine. It's really light. It's magnesium. It's got all the bells and whistles. This is the Portage Z30C that I'm getting from Toshiba. And you can read about why I chose that one and some of the factors behind it on the blog. Rock and roll didn't happen overnight. It had been building up steam ever since World War II. And in the early 1950s, it was called Rhythm and Blues. But you couldn't hear those jumping sounds on the jukebox in the front. You had to go to the juke in the back. I'm Matt the Cat. Join me each week for an in-depth listen to the soul that came before rock and roll on the juke in the back. Catch Juke in the Back on Mushroom FM, Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and Thursdays at 4 a.m. Eastern. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. Only a tiny fraction of the world's computer games are accessible, but we have more choice than ever before now, particularly since iOS became accessible. And a key player in giving us that choice is Marty Schultz, who establishes a whole bunch of games in the App Store under the brand Blindfold Games. And Marty joins me now. It's great to have you here. Thanks for coming on The Blind Side. Thanks for inviting me. How did you get into this? You're prolific. I just cannot believe how many games you have in the store, and we'll come to that. But how did you get into writing these games in the first place? I, I could just kind of stumbled onto it. <clears throat> the story dates back, and some of your listeners might have already heard this, but briefly, uh, when my daughter was about 11 years old or so, I saw her writing up her birthday wish list. And every day she would start on a new piece of paper and make up a new list. And I said, you know, I should create an app for that. And I had two options. I could either create the app because I've been programming for a long time. 
and then have her friends focus group it. Or I could use this as a STEM learning opportunity for the kids at her school. So I contacted the headmaster of the school and said, I want to run a little app club in the afternoon. We'll meet three times a week for an hour over six weeks. And the kids and I will design a birthday wish list app. We did that. We got the app done. The kids had a great time and they learned a lot. And while the app itself didn't do so well, uh, the headmaster came back and said, the kids loved it. Can you run the app club again next semester? And by the way, can you also teach a programming class for the middle school students after you drop off your daughter every morning? So I agreed to both. When we met the at the app club again the second semester, I told the kids, I, they said, what do you want to build? And the kids came back and they said they want a game. And I said, well, I don't want to do a game like everybody else. Every other game that's already in the app store has to be something unique. And I told them, go off for two weeks and come up with something different. And they didn't. So I said, well, I'm not going to build a game that looks like every other game, and I don't want to have to hire a graphic artist. I started thinking around, and I said, why don't we build something that we don't have to put anything on the screen? Let's build a driving game for blind people. Now, at that point, none of the kids in the class nor I had ever met anyone who was visually impaired. So we just kind of went about and said, let's kind of do it. So I had one kid in the class, a girl, put on a blindfold, and I told her, you go, you move constantly go moo 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 and i put another boy about 10 feet away and i put a blindfold on him and i said you try to walk towards the cow but don't hit the cow and he was able to do that because she was mooing and i said that's how the game is going to work and then over the course of the next six months the kids and i built about 35 levels of the game where they would design the each level making each level a little harder than the prior level and then we had the whole game done i would do the programming in the evenings and then after about six months, we decided we should actually have a blind person test this game out because we have no idea what it's actually going to be, how it will be received. So we arranged with the Miami Lighthouse for the Blind to set up a teen afternoon on a Saturday for the teens to come in and play the games. And we staged about uh, 10 iPads. And the teens had a wonderful time playing. They absolutely loved the game. <clears throat> they had lots of suggestions, one of which was, I think it was a, a boy who had could perceive light and dark, but that was about it. And he said, is the screen blank? And I said, yes. He said, well, you better put something on it because if sighted people play this game, they'll think their iPad is broken. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So we did that and followed the rest of their improvements. They were the ones who actually named the game to be Blindfold Racer. And then it was released, and a lot of people on Apple Viz seemed to like it, so it popped to the top of the chart in May. And then I was some of the schools for the blind side contacted me and I happened to be up in the Boston area where I go a lot. And I ended up meeting with a couple of people from Perkins School. I met the head of the American Council for the Blind and I met the woman who runs the talking book program for the National Library of Congress in the States. And we sat around about four hours in one of the person's houses and, and they just kind of told me what the, what they liked in the game, what they didn't like in the game. And they actually stayed up all the previous night playing Blindfold Racer. And then Judy, um, who runs the Talking Book Program, asked me to create a blindfold Sudoku. And someone else asked me to make a cryptogram game. And then a few weeks later, somebody else asked me to make a blackjack game. And then the requests just started coming in. And I started doing one game after another. And that's and at this point, I think we have, well, before we did the RS games, we had about 40 to 45 games. And now with RS games, that adds about another 19 games to the group. So it continues to grow. When you came up with this idea of a game that blind people could play, 
Did you know about voiceover at that point and the fact that there was quite a big community of blind people who were using iOS? I had no idea. All I knew is, um, as a matter of fact, I didn't even know voiceover existed. I had since learned a little about it, but at the time I didn't know it. And when we did the setting screen, I basically did all that coding as if I would have to have them kind of navigate on the phone using my own pseudo voiceover. So the very first version of Blindfold Racer didn't even use voiceover for the settings. And then I started learning a lot from the people on the AppleViz forum, and they would say, you know, you can do this, you can do that, take a look here. So I rewrote that, modified that code, and um, came out with subsequent versions. Um, and at each new version of the app, you know, clearly uses voiceover. It's now working with Braille displays and a, a number of other things, but uh, it was a learning experience. Yeah, and you're using quite a bit of direct touch too, so that voiceover is bypassed in key areas of the screen where it makes sense to do it, but voiceover is still active in other parts. So it's a, it's a kind of a nice hybrid that you have there. Yeah, one thing I, I don't like about voiceover is it slows down game playing. So in the very first version of Blindfold Racer, I didn't even know about voiceover, and, I, and people had to actually shut voiceover off to make it work, and I wanted to maintain that same mechanism. The important thing in the game is that if you're doing something – the next gesture will stop the game from talking because as you get faster and faster at the game, you know exactly what you want to do. And even when you put the games into, into less talk mode, you can still get the game running very quickly by just using the gestures. And I try to make sure the gestures in all the games are fairly similar and the, the, even the layouts of the games are very similar. So there's much less of a learning curve. It's, it's actually a lot of science behind w how these games are built to both improve game playing experience as well to actually start improving skills that you know, be it you know, uh, visually impaired or, or sighted people for the few that do play the games can actually improve different parts you know fine motor skills and things like that you clearly have a background then as a software developer what kind of software were you developing prior to this um i've done software companies most of my life um for i been in this industry for over 40 years. I've started about five or six different software companies that have all been fairly successful. The very first company I did, we built a computer programming language. Another company, I enabled you to send out a fax from a large-scale computer. We were in that business for a while. Uh, I did uh, some software that protected kids on the Internet so the parents can see what the kids were chatting about. And So I've done a variety of different uh, software companies and built a lot of software. So... I learned how to write apps about six or seven years ago, and I've come out with a few different apps before I did any of the blindfold games. How big do you perceive this market to be? Do you have a feel for how many voiceover users there really are? Because this is the sort of data that Apple keeps quite closely guarded. I had uh, an amusing conversation with Google at the National Foundation for the Blind Show, and I, I, they had a booth there, and Apple did not have a booth. And I went over to them and I said, you know, I have a bunch of games and I'm probably the best known game brand in, in the visually impaired marketplace. And I would love to put my products over to the Android, but right now I understand that it's something like a 10 to one ratio. Most people who are blind would prefer an Apple product. And they said, well, I said, they said, well, you should move your stuff over because we have billions of Android users. I said, yes, I'm aware of that. How many Android users are blind? And they said, we don't know. I said, well, Apple knows because Apple is able to figure how many users turn on voiceover. Therefore, I assume Google knows. They said, yes, we know, but we're not going to tell you. Yeah. I said, well, how do I start a business relationship with you so that 
we can get down to the point where you can tell me so I can cost justify moving the apps over. And they said, well, that won't happen. We're never going to tell you. I said, okay, well, in that case, this stuff is going to probably stay on the iPhone because even if Apple doesn't release that information, there are other ways to estimate market size. Now, the the because of a, uh, this is the story I heard, but because of the American Disabilities Act, the they were the Treasury Department was sued because of their violating the ADA Act because the currency is not accessible for visual for visually impaired people because every type of doll every dollar uh, denomination looks you know, feels the same. So they came out with an app for both the Android and the iPhone that could identify the currency. The statistics on that app as of about a year ago were that there were between 20 and 25,000 unique iTunes accounts that had downloaded that app, which tells me there's somewhere between 20 and 30,000 Americans who own iPhones or iPads. And I assume that's kind of would be the same ratio across other developed countries. Yeah, and a lot of those may also be using alternative money reader apps that were not developed by the federal government. You know, there are apps like Looktail Money Reader, which I think has just got a new brand, a new name. But, yeah, so I've heard an estimate, and I think it might have been in those initial Treasury numbers, that there were about 100,000 users, they estimated, who were using iOS. But I've not been able to corroborate that in any way. Right. I've heard that number before, and I talked to some people who who – found that number and they said they basically just created that number as as a guess but the only real data point we have now is is the number of downloads for this one specific app and i've talked to some of the other game manufacturers um like papa sangri when they were still doing it i don't know but you know over time i'm beginning to get a feel for how much of the market is for example when i went to the nfb show i tried to again estimate and um I found that maybe between 10 and 20% of the population there who owned iPhones even knew about the apps, which to me is pretty good because that means there's a huge market I can still grow out to. There's a World Blind Union conference, and they put up some statistics saying there's something like um, uh, the equivalent within the, within the developed countries of about over 500,000 people who would be considered legally blind. Now, what percentage of them actually own iPhones is still unclear, but it seems like a, a much larger market than most people know. The, the real question is at what price point can people who are on fixed income afford something like an iPhone and, and issues like that. That's the thing, isn't it? And we'll come back to, to the pricing shortly because we, we, you do have an interesting market to deal with there with so many people on fixed income. Did you take a look any deeper into developing for Android? Because I am curious about how much uh, of a similarity there is when you're developing for Android compared to iOS. I've heard that it is much more complex because you've got to make it work on so many disparate devices who have their own characteristics and idiosyncrasies whereas obviously there's some uniformity about the whole iphone thing the biggest issue and i built some android apps in the past uh, and you're right but when it comes to building uh, apps that the screen is unimportant those differences between the different type of android phones go away however 
writing something from scratch for the iPhone and then moving over to Android, you'd end up starting from scratch all over again. Now, there are some development tools where you can build for both devices at the same time, but they t but to get a really good feel for how the app is going to work, you, you have to get down to the, the native things that are happening on the iPhone and, and you know getting down to recognizing the gestures and doing all sorts of tricks around that. And if you wrote in something that would work in both devices, you wouldn't be able to do that as well. So porting each game over to the Android would take almost as much as writing it in the first place. The only thing you would have done is you'd say, okay, I know how it should be laid out because it's gone through all the testing and I know what people like and what they don't like, but everything else would really be building from scratch. And you're just not convinced that the market share is there for that to be justified? Not within the developed country market, okay? If we look at the United States, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, South Africa, and the English-speaking parts of maybe um, Brazil and Turkey and, uh, you know, and parts of India, that's pretty much it. Now, to really expand out into a lot more of the developing countries, we could go there, and even and some of them are English-speaking, be it the Philippines or India, but the issue there is, you know, again, porting everything over to the Android and, and determining what kind of, you know, how much work it is to get there and, and make sure there's a, a decent return on the investment of, of doing that, and can I get the word out even in those marketplaces. I'm staggered by how many titles you have in the App Store. How long typically does it take for you to develop a game? And, and can you talk me through a bit of the process of how that development begins and goes through to release? Yeah, what usually happens is someone comes up with a, an interesting idea and, and the initial set of games were both suggestions from other people as well as I would look at what was popular in the sighted world and say, well, if this game was really popular in the sighted world, it would probably be popular in the... Um, and blindfold Pokemon Go coming up, eh? <laughs> I've actually had conversation with people about how to pull that off, and, and we're still going back and forth on that. But take um, Candy Crush, which was you know the number one generating app uh, for a couple of years out of King Entertainment. When I decided to do something, an audio equivalent, the first thing I'll do is say, can I do an audio equivalent of this game? Does it make sense? For example, with what I came up with was Color Crush, it's easy to do an audio equivalent of that. I looked at another game that was very popular for a while, which called Flappy Bird. That's almost impossible to create that as an audio game. There are too many things going on. Um, if I can come up with a decent audio equivalent in my mind, then I start laying it out. I'll run the idea by a group of about 50 testers who are all blind, maybe one or two low vision users in that group. I'll run the ideas by them. They'll give me some very good feedback, kind of go back and forth a few times with the ideas. And then I'll just start laying out the game and, and just having different gestures do different things and eventually it turns into a, a rudimentary game and then it, then we make sure all the bugs are out then i started adding more and more to the features to it so basketball which was a game i came out with about a month or two ago that went through about oh about six or seven revisions before we finally got it right and, and all the things that i thought would be important in that game almost ended up being re that took the longest to actually build were practically removed from the game by the time it actually made it to the app store. One of the things I want to do was have you dribble the ball by snapping, by keeping the phone horizontal, parallel to the floor, and snapping your wrist the same way you might bounce a basketball on the floor. And then when you're ready to shoot, you would have your the phone screen facing your body, and you'd snap your wrist again as if you're tossing a ball forward. 90% of the users did not want those gestures, and that probably, getting all that stuff to work properly probably took about two weeks. 
because it's very difficult. Some of these things on the phone are a lot harder than they appear to be. And and the snapping of the wrist, when you snap your wrist, what's actually happening every one hundredth of a second is either you're getting forward acceleration and then when your wrist stops, you're getting deceleration. So it's actually difficult to determine which way you're actually snapping your wrist. Are you simply snapping it forward? Or when you're stopping your wrist from snapping it forward, it actually looks to the software like you've snapped your wrist backwards a little as part of the stopping process. Does that make sense? Right. And so that obviously took a lot of, of ingenuity. Oh, and, and, a lot and, of trial and error and trying to figure out what's going on and uh, to get it right. And I finally got it right. And then people basically say, no, I want to be able to um, shoot the ball by flicking my finger. Oh, man. <laughs> so, that's not atypical. It usually takes three or four revisions of a game, real complete new versions of a game through this testing period before I get it so the game is a lot of fun. And that's where most of the time is spent is coming up with a method and letting everybody rip it apart and then coming up with a better alternative. So how long typically would it take? I mean, I guess it varies a lot depending on the complexity of the game, but between when you start writing that line of first code and when it ends up in the app store. Um, in calendar time, probably six to eight weeks. In, in actual programming hours, maybe anywhere from 40 to 120. Mm. Okay, so b- bird songs, for example, it was fairly easy to do because I had some models of other games that I had built that way. I just had to find all the bird songs and come up with a way to make the game fun. And then people said, after I released it, they said, can you do something for everyday sounds? So I probably spent more time working on the sounds on sound search than I did on, on actually the coding on, on that. And then I want to make it a little different. <clears throat> I want to make sound search a little different than bird songs, even though I also had different sound packs. So I added some timed games to that. And now um, somebody came up with the idea of doing a game where you recognize, you kind of compare musical notes. So A, B, C, D, you know, B sharp, A flat, whatever. And they want a game similar to Sound Search or Birdsong, but musical notes, but a couple of more more complex games as part of that. So you'd have to match up, say, um, the the musical note C on three different instruments um, and hold it that way. So, you know, some people have a good ear, some people don't have a good ear, but enough people want to play that game so I can kind of take Sound Search and move it and turn it into, you know, somebody came up with a name for um, Blindfold Tone Deaf. (laughs) So it's kind of in the back of my mind. I'm thinking whether I'm going to pull that game together or not, and we'll we'll run it by. But if it's similar to another game, it's easier. If it's a brand new thing, then it takes much longer. How do you know when you've reached the point that you may have flooded the market so much with all these great titles that you could be cannibalizing yourself? Well, firstly, I'm I'm barely penetrating to the market, as I mentioned. But equally important, I know I can't release games too quickly because people have a certain amount of money they want to spend on entertainment, and I try to release games in accordance with that. So um, releasing more than like one or two titles a month, I I think I'll overwhelm people. With with the RS Games product, they basically put 19 new games on the market, so I know it's going to take a while for everyone to absorb those games, start playing them, and at some point they're going to say, I want something else. What are you coding in? Presumably you're working on a Mac in in Swift? Yeah, I have a I have a Mac with three screens in front of me as I speak and a PC with one screen off to the side that I do my email on. It's all in uh, a language called Objective-C, okay. which is one of, one of the two languages you can build 
uh, iPhone apps on on the Mac. And the way you do it is you first build it up on uh, the Mac, and they have a little iPhone emulator, and that gets you through a lot of the testing stuff so nice and fast. And then when you're ready to actually do some real-world testing, you just plug um, an iPhone into the Mac and continue testing that way. Speaking of the Mac, of course, there there is a group of blind Mac users who are a bit hungry for games. Have you ever considered seeing if any of them will, uh, <clears throat> I guess, translate so that you could use them maybe with the trackpad on the Mac or the arrow keys, something like that? Well, so many of the games end up using the positioning of the phone. While I could, um, I think the community is much smaller, so I'm not, I'm not sure it would end up uh, being justified to, to go down that path. People tend to like the iPhone because it's nice and portable, and they tend to use the Mac if they're getting into much more of a, a role-playing game where they need a lot of, diff- you know, they need the whole keyboard, they need a lot of th- things going on at the same time. And um, building a role-playing game is a lot bigger of a project than any of the games that I've built so far. You're very committed to this, and uh, you've, you've issued a lot of games. I noticed some months ago now a fairly passionate blog post from you about reaction that you'd received to the pricing of the games, and I guess this is a tricky thing because so many blind people are on fixed incomes and it's difficult for them to pay for things. Have you had generally positive feedback overall to what's, what you've done? Yeah, as a matter of fact, before I put out any game, I'll actually run it by the testers and say, I'm proposing this price, and what do you think? And they'll come back and they'll say it's too cheap or too expensive. So I pay a lot of attention to the feedback I'm getting. And and I know, like I said, 90% of the people out there will just play a game until the free coins or whatever are gone, and then they'll move on. But they will, you know, you know, once a month, once every two months, there'll be a game that they really like, and they'll decide to invest the money in. I would like to be in a situation where I could simply charge a uh, a monthly subscription to gain access to all the games or all the uh, or even subsets of the games. But every time I floated that idea by people, they say, "No, I don't want to do that." I said, "If I'm buying a game, I want to own that game." So I know if I had a large enough base, I could probably uh, go to a subscription model. But it's going to be have to be much bigger than I have now, and people are going to have to be comfortable with that. Right now, nobody's comfortable with the idea of so to speak, renting games on a monthly basis at any price. And so if I, once the market starts telling me they want me to seriously look into subscriptions, I'll do that. The way that most of your games work that I've played is that you can download them and really get a good feel for what they are like. And then if you want to continue to play them at that point, you make an in-app purchase, which seems to be an eminently fair way to do it really, because you know by then whether it's a game that the novelty's going to wear off or whether you think you, you will want to play this long-term. That's how I feel about it. What, and what I try for, and I, I look for the feedback from people, is you know, does this game have a lot of uh, replay uh, value? Does it keep changing? Is, get, does it get harder or you get better? And I try for that in all the games. And then and almost, I don't think I've done a game where, I, that, where I've gotten negative feedback except maybe the card game War, which is an incredibly boring game. And I just really did that as an experiment on, on my first experiment on how to do a multiplayer game. And that's one of the reasons why I get a lot of requests to do um, uh, Snakes and Ladders. And I'm sh- I don't know if you played that when you were a kid. But oh, yeah, yeah. Play it with I, my kids now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I look at that game and I realize there's no um, – it's going to get boring real fast because it's the same thing over and over. It's just like rolling yes. dice and hoping for the best. And 
I'm thinking, and I've run this idea by a few times, I'm thinking that would be a good game by which if you add maybe a math problem to it. So you roll, you can move, but only if you get a certain math problem. Like maybe I can have different levels of math problems, but that might be good for kids in elementary school to be able to play the game and improve whatever set of um, math skills they're trying to build based on their age range. So that's an idea. Yeah. My, my only beef, I suppose, my only gripe in, the, in this whole thing is that I bought the initial version of Blindfold Road Trip because I'm a bit of an addict to that whole 1,000 miles thing. And then okay. I was a little bit disappointed when the network aware version or the game center aware version came out and it was a separate game. And I thought it would have been nice uh, for those of us who had purchased the original version to have been able to update uh, as an in-app well, purchase to the network friendly version. Well, actually, all the multiplayer games, well, uh, there are two issues there, which is right now all the multiplayer games, even though there's a price in the upgrade, in the upgrade area, it doesn't actually enforce that right now. Okay, because until the games are 100% stable in terms of being a multiplayer game, I can't charge for it, okay? And I keep improving and improving and improving it. So some people do sponsor it, but it actually does, you know, it doesn't require you to, to purchase that game. Apple, I wanted to put it both in the same game as the upgrade, but Apple actually doesn't let me do that. I might have written a blog on this, I don't remember, but Apple's comment when I tried to charge like 2 or $3 for the upgrade in the very first version that I put out there, which seemed to work, even though it was awkward, um, they said, you cannot charge for something that, that is included with iOS, and since your game uses Game Center, then you can't charge for that. So I submitted another version where I enabled the microphone. I said, okay, I'll give Game Center for free, but if people want to be able to talk to each other, I'll allow this to a communication. And then Apple with the Apple first let it through and then on the next release they rejected it. I tried seven different combinations to make multiplayer a feature of the regular app. Every one of those cases Apple shut me down. In the latest version, I'm not I'm barely even using Game Center because Game Center was just way too unreliable. So the only way actually to get around this whole Apple restriction was to come out with a separate game put a, a fairly low price on the game, make sure it had all the features that the other game had that you would have upgraded to anyway, um, but include that in just this, the, as the one charge for that game. And then um, when I actually will rigorously start requiring people to do for that upgrade, anyone who bought the old version, I'll simply give you a coupon to get what you've already paid for. So <laughs> if anyone out there has, has spent money twice basically for the same thing you know send me an email and i'll give you a coupon to take care of that okay very good apple can be quite officious can't they with the app store approvals well just to get you an idea um separate from other things i just came out with another set of sound packs uh, upgrade packs for um color crush and i want to do something that corresponded to the olympics so if you play Color Crush before, you know it's seven different items and have lots of different categories. So one of the categories I decided to do were summer and winter, winter Olympic games. So I put, I built it up, spent you know, maybe you know three, four, or five hours building it up and getting all in place. Submits it to the App Store and they say because I used the word Olympic in the game, I'm violating the IOC's copyright. So they rejected that upgrade. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I think that was an issue in 2012 as well. And I think in that case, it might be the Olympic people who were to blame. They come down quite hard on this. Yeah, so I basically renamed it, resubmitted it, and renamed it the World Games. So, uh, 
you know, it simply says World Sports Games, which is not copyrighted by anybody. Yeah, very good. Clever stuff. <laughs> the yeah. RS Games Partnership, this has obviously been welcomed by many people because on the Windows and Mac platforms, RS Games is very popular. They've done a good job for about uh, six or seven years, seven years. And so now you've facilitated the ability to play these games via iOS. How did that come about? A couple of people in your neck of the woods recommended that I contact them and or contact a few different of, of the uh, people who have built um, some of the games. And I've contacted like three or four of them. Some I've been outright rejected because they thought I was ripping people off. Others said yes. And I reached out to RS Games. and I said, this is what I'd like to do. And, and they said, well, I don't know. You know, uh, people are used to getting the games for free. And I said, well, it's going to cost me a lot of time to move your games over. And almost all the money I get out of the games, I put back into marketing. Like I just did the um, NFB trade show. Uh, I'm at the conference in Orlando. I probably spent about $2,500 just to do that show. So everything I do costs money, you know, the server infrastructure, things like that. And a lot of, a lot of marketing expenses. And I convinced them, you know, not everybody is going to want to pay for your games. Those people who don't want to pay for having the convenience of it on the iPhone, they can continue to use the Mac and the, the PC versions for free. Don't change that. You have a happy audience. Keep the audience happy. But those people who value that the games are available on the iPhone and want to take advantage of the portability, it's not unreasonable to have them share in the expenses of, of getting this stuff done. So um, I worked on it. I sent them the Worked on it for about two months, sent them the first version. They were blown away by it. They seemed to really like it. And then we just worked together to get flush out all the bugs, and we continue to do that. There's still little bugs popping up, and we're both working diligently to keep it to be as high quality as everything they've done and everything I've done. How does this pricing model work in terms of getting iOS games working on iOS? Well, the games itself are between 3 and 5 or $6 per game, and there are bundles so that... Uh, U.S. dollars, and there are bundles that you can get a, a group of the strategy games together or a group of the puzzle games or things like that, or you can just get the entire group of games. So um, I think the entire group of games is somewhere around, somewhere between $25 and $35 U.S., I forget the price. Um, or you can just get small packs of games that might be, say, $10 for about five games. It brings the games down to about $2 a game. So there are a lot of different alternatives there. Um, and people seem to like this. That's a great initiative. Are you confident that you'll be able to sustain this, that you'll be able to continue making a living doing these games, and that you won't run out of ideas either? Well, the first item is I'm not making a living on this. I do this kind of as a paid hobby, where most of the money goes back to marketing. I support myself by doing um, marketing consulting for some of the other companies that had started it in my past. As far as Ideas for games, I think that's an infinite list. I probably get more ideas for games in a week than I can probably build in a year. It occurs to me that you must really get a buzz, though, out of knowing the difference that you are making to people's lives because there is a hunger for accessible games out there, and I'm sure that you must realize how much people really appreciate what you've done. Uh yeah, I mean, I, the best story, I did a blog about this, but at the NFP show, I had three or four tween boys and girls come over to me and just were like, just so happy to meet the developer of these games. They were just you know, jumping up and down, just beside themselves. It was, it was fun to see that. So I'm glad I'm making a bunch of people happy. 
Yes, yeah, so you're a rock star. So <laughs> how do people find the games? I guess people just can search for blindfold games in the App Store, right? And they will all come up. Well, the easiest, if they, they can get right to the game they want, they can just visit blindfoldgames.org. And that has my blog, and I blog twice a week. And, you know, people can sign up for the blog, or they can send me an email, and I'll sign them up for the blog. Um, the, and the blogs are anything either the experiences I'm having in, in getting the word out or how the games are built. So a lot of the questions you're asking, I, I dive into in a lot more depth and take it from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know how to program a computer but knows a little about you know, playing games on the iPhone. And I'll talk about the trade-offs we make and what the testers found. It's, it's a, people have told me it's a fascinating read, and I do about twice a week. So if you're curious at all how these games are built or what's coming or why a game did something a certain way, the blog's a great way to do it. But there's also another page on the blog where it lists all the games in alphabetical order and they can uh, uh, see everything. There's a quick description for each game. And there's also a user guide now for every game up on the for almost every game up on the website as well. That way, if you want to, uh, you know, use your braille display or, or have the computer read it to you, um, you can do that right at the website as well. What's your most popular game? Um, let's see, it, the number one popular movement game, the sports game, was probably bowling. Yeah. And then, so the most popular puzzle game is the spin and solve, which is a variant of Wheel of Fortune. Right, the bowling's fun. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> excellent. Well, look, it's a pleasure to talk to you because um, so many of us are playing your games and loving them, and we certainly appreciate all that you've contributed to the community. And I hope we can talk again as uh, perhaps as new titles come out, we can get you back on the program and discuss those. So I, thank you so much. Oh, I'd love to uh, have the opportunity again. If you've not played a blindfold game before, let's take a brief look at a couple. And it's not an extensive tutorial on how to play the game, but really just an example of two quite different games and how well developed they are. I always enjoy a bit of bowling. It's nice to go with the kids to the bowling alley and have a fun uh, day there. We also used to play a bit of the old Wii bowling. I used to like the Wii console, actually. We still have our Wii. This is the Nintendo games console because... A lot of the games there are actually accessible in some form because of the controller and the the bowling game and tennis and a few others are actually accessible for a blind person to play. Sometimes it takes a bit of muscle memory to remember how to get them going, of course, because there's no screen reader as such on the Wii. So you might need a family member to get you up and running. But once you're actually playing the game, the Wii's quite cool for that. But uh, this is all fully accessible, and so I'll grab the iPhone 7 Plus, and we will launch, first of all, the Blindfold Bowling game. Launch Blindfold Bowling. Blindfold Bowling. Blindfold Bowling main menu. I'll flick through the options now. Resume game. Button. I was playing a game, so I can resume that game. 10 pin. One player. Simple throw. 10 pin. One player. One finger aim and throw. 10 pin, one player, two finger aim and throw. There are a few variations of the bowling game here, some of which involve quite precise navigation with the touch screen so that you can very precisely aim the ball and have some control over the speed with which you throw. It's a lot of fun and very challenging. Selected. 10 pin, you and computer, simple throw. Yeah, because 
in the end, I'm a bit chicken to demonstrate how rubbish I can be with uh, some of the more complex um, <laughs> versions of this game. Ten pin. You and computer. One finger aim and throw. Ten pin. So we go on. If we go to the bottom of the screen, though. Ten, ten pin. Ten pin. Help. Set. Help. Button. There's an extensive help document here. In fact, a series of help options. And this is typical of all the blindfold games. When you get one of these games, you do get a lot of detail, well-written documentation that describes how to play the game that you have. Settings. Button. Then you can go into settings and there are a lot more settings, perhaps more in the blindfold bowling than some other apps in terms of the way that things are spoken, the way that you can play the game with this blindfold bowling game. You can choose to use a keyboard if you have a Bluetooth keyboard rather than a touchscreen, if that's your preference. And of course, you could also use a Braille display instead of the touchscreen if you prefer to do that. And you can customize the voices if you've purchased the game. So what you'll hear when we do a quick demo of this game is not what you hear when you just install the app. I'm not a big fan of the Samantha voice. Voices are very subjective. I know there'll be some people who are saying, why is he using Daniel? I really like my compact Daniel. I find it really good speech. So let's just do a quick demo. We'll flip back here. Ten pin. Ten pin. You and computer. Two finger aim and throw. Ten pin. You and computer. One finger aim and throw. I'll try that one, all right? Let's double tap. Using one coin to play. To go back to the main menu, swipe up with three fingers. Starting game, 10 pin, you and computer, one finger aim and throw. You are playing against Mark. Mark has slow ball speed and his ball accuracy is average. Mark scores an average of 125 points per game. It's player one's turn. Move your finger left and right to position yourself on the bowling alley. Then stop moving for a second, and then aim your flick at the pins you want to hit. I'll give it a shot, and Mark sounds like my kind of player. He's not the best of players, so I'm glad to have been assigned Mark. Thank you, Marty. And it sounds like we're in the bowling alley, doesn't it? This is really cool. I got that whole bowling alley feeling, the ambience. There's probably some terrible food, like fries going on. We're ready to do this thing. So I'm going to put my finger on the touch screen. Center. Oh, and I'm right on the center, and I'm getting the vibration. And uh, because I'm resting my finger, if I just move it. One, two, three. I'm moving left. Four, five, four, two, one. Center. One, two. Three, and now I'm moving right. Four, now, five, if you four, go two, into the help one, documentation. One, two. One center. You do get information about the way that these pins, the 10 pins, are positioned. I'm right in the center of the screen. I'm getting a vibration and a ping telling me that I'm ready for throwing, and I'm going to do it now. I'm going to flick forward on the touch screen, hopefully fairly straight. And with a decent speed... You made a strike. throws <laughs> the first ball. That is remarkable. Mark knocked over four pins, leaving six pins standing. One, three, six, eight, nine, ten. Mark throws the second ball. Mark knocked over three pins, leaving three pins standing. Eight, nine, ten. Mark scored seven points. It's player one's turn. Frame two, throw your first ball. Let me just explain what happened. I didn't want to interrupt the speech there because it's bad practice to do that. 
You'll be familiar if you've ever done 10-pin bowling with the concept of getting a strike, and that is that when you bowl, you hit all 10 pins on the first round. What that means is that even if I do have to take two goes at this next round or frame, my score will double for both of the attempts that I have to make. So that's, that's really remarkable. And I swear to you, I didn't have to do that in multiple takes or anything. I'm not that overly worried about it, but just, I just managed to get it the first time. Look at me go. All right, let's try again. I'm going to position my finger on the center of the screen. One. Center. There's center. And I'm now ready to go. Let's see if we can do another one. Three. Oops, no. I moved my finger and I'm not going to... You gonna... threw a gutter ball on the left. A gutter Throw ball! Throw your second ball. That is preposterous. I have just wasted my first valuable post-strike frame here. Let's try again. Let's see if we can redeem ourselves here. I'm going to straighten the phone up a little. Two. One. Center. And... One. You didn't pause your finger no, prior to flicking. Because Try that, again. Yeah, that's that's because I'm 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 totally discombobulated by that gutter ball. Center. All right. One. Well. You knocked over nine pins, leaving one pin standing. Ten. You scored nine points. Mark throws the first ball. Mark knocked over six pins, leaving four pins standing. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Mark throws the second ball. Mark made a spare. It's player one's turn. Frame three, throw your first ball. Now I'm going to perform a three finger flick down and I believe that should tell us what the scores are after two rounds. It is frame three. It's your first throw. Your score so far is 19. Mark's score so far is 17. And the next throw will be added to that score. Okay. Well, I'm going to exit this now. I, I think I should have actually got more points, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I'll flick up with three fingers. And we're back out at the main menu. That is blindfold bowling. It's a lot of fun. Let's just show you a completely different kind of game. And this is the blindfold wild card, which is kind of like Uno. So we'll just go in there and show you how that works. Launch blindfold wild card. Blindfold world, blindfold world code. This is the... Welcome to blindfold wild card. To learn how to play, tap the help button. I'm using Alex in this instance. This is the classic Uno game, essentially, with a couple of very minor variations. Um, for example, I believe in the official Uno rules, you can challenge someone if they play a wild draw four on you. In blindfold wildcard, you can't actually play a wild draw four unless you have no other options. So you can't bluff in the way that you can in the in the Uno game, but it's pretty similar, very similar indeed. So let's just flick through. Resume button. And was I playing a game? I don't believe I was, but let's see. The game is now over. Yeah. To play another game, swipe up with three fingers to return to the main menu and reset the scores. All right, so we'll go up to the main menu. Exclamation point going. Blindfold world cut main menu. Resume. Selected. Wild card. Two. Wild card. Three players, wild card, 
Four players. Current game scores. Button. Reset game scores. Button. I'll double tap. Reset scores game set scores. Back to zero. One of the things I do like about this is that it is game center enabled, so you can play with other players online. Blank. Resume. Selected. Wild card. Two players. We'll just give you a quick example of how this works. I'll double tap. To go back to the main menu, swipe up with three fingers. Starting wildcard, two players. You go first. Dealing your cards. Dealing Bob's cards. Dealing a card to discard pile. You have seven cards, eight blue. Draw two blue, four green. Draw two green, reverse green. Draw two yellow, wild draw four. Discard pile <laughs> top card is seven. I'm going to win this round. Turn. If you can play a card, do so by selecting the card, then tap twice. Otherwise, draw a card by tapping with three fingers. It's your turn. To play a card, do so by selecting the card, then tap twice. I was talking to you when he said what the current card on the discard pile is, so I'll double tap. No, I'll just perform a two-finger single tap, actually. Discard pile top card is seven yellow. Let's see what we can do. Draw two blue, eight blue, draw four green, draw two green, reverse green, draw two yellow, wild draw four. Right, so we'll play the draw two yellow. Draw two yellow. You play draw two yellow. I you double tap. six cards. Bob draws two cards. Bob has nine cards. It's your turn. My turn again. Draw two green. And let's Reverse see. green. Wild draw. Yes. Yeah. Draw two green. So we'll do the draw two green. You play draw two green. You have five cards. Bob draws two cards. Bob has 11 cards. It's your turn. I'm going to flick through my cards. Four green. Draw two blue. Here's the other draw two. Let's play it. You play draw Double two tap. blue. You have four cards. Bob draws two cards. Bob has 13 cards. Poor it's old your Bob. Turn. I'm not done with them yet. What's the current card? Discard pile top card is draw two blue. I performed a two-finger single tap to get that information. Eight blue. I have to play the eight blue. Four green. Reverse green. Wild draw. Reverse okay, I see where this is going now. Eight blue. So we'll do eight blue. Double tap it. You played eight blue. You have three cards. Bob plays one blue. Bob has 12 cards. It's now, turn. I'm going to be allowed to play the wild draw four. Reverse green, wild draw four. And I'll change the suit to green, so I'll double tap. You play wild draw four. You have two cards. Pick a color by flicking left or right, then tap twice. All right, we'll go to green. Blue, green. And double tap. Wild color is now green. Bob draws four cards. Bob has 16 cards. It's your turn. And now we can finish the round. This is incredibly lucky that I'm getting such an amazing hand while I'm recording this. Maybe I need to record all my games. It seems to be a good luck charm. Four green. So reverse green. All we do is double tap reverse green. You play reverse green. You have one card. It's your turn. And double tap four green. And that will be the end of this particular round. And I cannot wait to find out what the score is, because I think he's got about 16 cards. You played four green. You have no cards left. You are out of cards, so the round is over. Bob's cards give 198 points to the winner. <laughs> you win this round with 198 points for a total of 198 points. Here are the scores so far. You have a total of 198 points. Bob has a total of zero points. Round is over.
Swipe up with three fingers to return to the main menu, or swipe up with one finger to play another round. I'm going to do the former. We'll swipe up with three fingers for now to go back to the main menu. I'll get back to Bob later. Exclamation point going. Wild card. Two players. Finally, let's just take a quick look at Arius Games and how this works. So we will do launch blindfold Arius Games. Blindfold RS Games. Blindfold RS Games. There is, again, extensive documentation about how to do this, because if you use a Bluetooth keyboard, then playing RS Games on your iDevice, be it an iPhone or an iPad, is very similar to playing it on your Mac or PC. It's very well done, but you can also do it from the touchscreen. Skip button. And there's some information here. Our other games. About other blindfold games. Skip button. We'll skip that by double tapping the skip button. Skip. RS Games main menu. Start playing. Welcome to RS Games. Even if you played RS Games before on Windows or Mac, tap the hell button to learn about the gestures. Yeah, I'm a bit voice agnostic. So this time we've got Lee, Lee from Australia. And we've got help here. Settings. Settings. Buy or upgrade game. So we'll go back and start playing by double tapping. To go back to the main menu, swipe up with three fingers. Please select an option. Log in as Jonathan. You hear the familiar Arius Games music, so this will be an experience you'll be very comfortable with if you've played Arius Games on other platforms. Quit. Log in as Jonathan. Except that we don't flick left and right as we do in most iOS environments or even in most blindfold games. We flick up and down, which I guess makes sense because it's kind of like up and down arrowing in the Arius Games client on other platforms. I want to log in as me, so I'll double tap. Welcome to RS Games. Please follow at RS Games on Twitter for real-time updates as we fix bugs and make enhancements to the games. That's at RS underscore games. You can now also like our page on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash rsgames1 to receive these updates. We have created a mailing list for any discussion relating to RS Games. To subscribe, send a blank email to rsgames-discuss-subscribe at xanasoft.net. A link to subscribe can be found on the RS Games homepage. If you like RS Games, please consider donating by clicking the link on the RS Games website, www.rsgames.org. Please choose a game to play, Monopoly. And I can interrupt that speech at any time, of course. Now I can flick up or down. Yulo, Blackjack, Yahtzee, 1000 Miles. It's very responsive. Battleship, Shut the Box, Apples to Apples, Farkle, Rummy. So all the games are here, and I do like the Farkle implementation of Arius games. I also like 1000 Miles, and sometimes I can convince Bonnie to play 1000 Miles with me, but boy, she gets really frustrated with me. You would not believe, and you know, normally she's such a lady, but <clears throat> she does get very frustrated with me when we play the 1000 Miles. I tell you, my life's not worth living. Sparkle. Apples to apples. Shut the box. Battleship. 1000 Miles. So if I double tap this. Downloading sounds. Please. All sounds for 1000 Miles have been downloaded successfully. You have five days, six hours, 54 minutes, and 44 seconds left in your free trial of this game. When the trial ends, you can purchase this game to continue playing. Check out QCast, the accessible podcatcher. It runs and then we've on your got PC the ad. Join game. So we can join the game. New game. Make a new game. Join. List games. List games. View scoreboards. View game stats. Polls. Switch game. Force we download of sounds. Quit. I'm going to quit for now. But what you see of the RS game server. Going back to main is menu. that it is a very similar experience if you've played RS games before. 
So it's a great implementation. So that's just an example of three of the games, quite different games that Marty has created from Blindfold Games. He's doing a fantastic job. And if you like to play a range of games from card games to puzzle games to sort of action games, there's something there for you. Great stuff. Well done. And in the season of Thanksgiving, I'm very thankful that we have all of these games that he has developed. And that's it for The Blind Side. Happy gameplay. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.